0: I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here with my good friend and colleague, none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. Good morning. Good morning. Fresh out of basketball. Yep. My legs hurt. <laughs> Mine too. Well, you did snowboarding this week, and basketball, which makes you crazy. I'm an overachiever this week, but I'm paying for it. Uh, For those that are just listeners and have never met us in person, Sean is about a foot taller than me, and he's lighter than me, so I'm pretty jealous. (laughs) I'm not a foot taller, but I appreciate the compliment. Um, Anyway, back to the article. Uh, Today we were talking about an article I wrote called Who's Got Your Ear? And it's all about advice.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed reading this because these decisions are constant, too, uh, when you're – those of you who are reading the article or have already read it, as you go through it, you're gonna you come up with financial decisions all the time. And when you're on a tight budget, it makes those decisions pretty easy because uh, sometimes there's things that you just cannot afford, you know. So your options are limited. But when your options are not limited, it's it seems like there's a never-ending amount of things you could spend the money on. But what should you?
0: And uh, as I gave a personal story, what does young 21-year-old Trevor do with his extra discretionary income? Got to get a cool car. Got to get a cool car. So it's interesting when I was writing this article, I always try to think about conversations I've had. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to folks— And as they review their portfolio with me, uh, it's like going through their garage and grabbing like an old trophy or uh, an old toy and then getting this whole story of where they got it from, right? Hey, I saw Warren Buffett on TV and he recommended this stock. So I added a little bit to my portfolio. I read the Wall Street Journal and I started doing this tax strategy for this reason. And I started to realize, man, you really have to think about in personal finance, where do you get your advice from? Because not only uh do I think a lot of these stories I hear that the the counterparty is not qualified to give the advice, the counterparty doesn't even know the person on a personal level.
1: Yeah, and it's also important in in your example the person you go and ask for advice from, you have to understand that you guys are in different, you know, chapters of life with different circumstances, which is going to skew the advice. Um it's kind of like asking You know, what kind of vacation should I plan to a single person? If you're going with three little kids, Uh, they may be like, oh, this place is great. You're going to love it. The restaurants are fun. The bars are fun. And then you get there and you're like, wait, these are not kid friendly at all. I'm not going to go do any of those things. And it was a, a bad place to bring a whole family, you know.
0: Very relative to Sean and I, who have three little kids, yes. <laughs> uh, that your vacations uh, as a single person or as a new newlywed is very different than vacation with a family.
1: Yeah, it's not really vacation. It's more just chasing your kids at yeah. a tropical place.
0: <laughs> I was joking around with a good friend the other day. They tend to go on a lot of vacations, and uh, now they have four kids at home. And his wife just came to him, and she said, please, please, no vacations this year. <laughs> yeah.
1: That is pretty funny. I remember my wife saying something similar that she wanted like a change of scenery, just have to get out of the house. And I'm like, perfect, done. And then uh, about day two, she's like, this is harder than being at home. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we know that feeling.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing in thought. Uh, In practice, it's usually a little bit of a different story. Definitely. But I want people to be thoughtful on where they derive their advice from because I gave this personal example Sean alluded to a little bit when I was, you know, first starting to go to the church that I still go to, right? So this was in some twenty years ago. Uh, I leaned a lot of people in that church to give me advice and give me guidance, and I remember. At that time, I had a really low rent, I had a lot of roommates, uh, my income was decent, which means I had a lot of opportunity for discretionary spending, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to go out and get a new car. And I don't know why, you know, don't judge me for it, but I just really wanted a Mini Cooper. I I thought that was
1: funny. I didn't know that part. I laughed. Because I knew Trevor when he got this car, too. So that's why I I, I kind of chuckled when I read that.
0: Yeah, I thought Mini Coopers were really cool, and I, like, looked at the used ones, and I'm like, oh, this is, like, within, like, what I can afford and, and whatnot. So, I went to this gentleman at our church. Like, a lot of these guys acted as like father figures to me. And I said, Hey, I wanted to get a new vehicle. Could you help me out? I don't know how to go to the dealership, how to do any of this stuff. Like, kind of, this is what I want. He's like, Oh, yeah, I got a friend that works in the fleet side, and he's going to give you a good deal, and I'll go with you. So, sure enough, we drive down to Irvine uh, to get a new vehicle. And I'm walking in looking to get a used Mini. And, like I said, I'm going to spare you all the details but i walked out that day with a fifty thousand dollar bmw
1: that's the worst so he came with you Mm -hmm. so you kind of feel like obligated and then he's like
0: oh this is a great deal and you're like okay i guess i'm doing it yeah and it wasn't even i like how you put it that was it wasn't even that i felt pressured i felt like it was the adult thing to do yeah because he was just kind of leading and I, i mentioned in the article the way i went about choosing advice is that this guy worked in finance he had a really nice house he had really nice cars and he is an amazing man. Like, he's, he's a good man. Now, I'll mention later that it breaks my heart. I saw the struggles he went through in 2008, and I saw all those luxuries stripped away. Yeah. Um, you know, Warren Buffett likes to say, uh, when the tide goes in, you can find out who's skinny dipping, right? right. Uh, so I experienced that firsthand. But then it changed how I looked back at that scenario where his advice to me was, You deserve it. You work so hard. And I kind of just went for it. But then the very next month when I'm doing my you know, calculation of my spending and I realize my top two expenses now is not my rent, it's my car payment, and then the second is my car insurance. Not it, a good use. It was a bad idea. Yeah. And I mentioned in the article that shortly thereafter, again, now I'm like, okay – discretionary spending, I should probably be careful about that, but I should probably be a saver, right? That's something people do. So I bumped into somebody uh, that wanted to give me financial advice. And I went into their office again in Irvine uh, to meet with a financial advisor, my first experience. uh, And I didn't know that their primary role was selling life insurance. Mm -hmm. So I come in, the advisor introduced me to the senior partner. And then all of a sudden there's a white sheet of paper, a lot of drawings, and this idea of how I'm going to avoid all these taxes through whole life insurance. I didn't know anything they were talking about. Uh, And then the guy started telling me about the car he drove, the BMW, and then my alarms went off. I was like, no, no, no. I learned my lesson. Don't go here for advice. Um, So now I have a lot of opinions on what they were trying to convince 21-year-old Trevor to do. But I'm glad that from experience, life's the best teacher, that I avoided taking advice from the wrong party. Yeah, that's such a good point, too, because then, you know, you're making good income at
1: 21, but then the next five to 10 years, your income fluctuated a lot. And so you would have been stuck with these huge premium payments and this policy and felt like, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to do it.
0: Not only did my income fluctuate, but my commitments did, too. When you're that age, you don't have any responsibilities. Yep. So you don't even have to make great income. You get if you live in a three bedroom house with six roommates, you're going to have a lot of extra.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. It is interesting, too, because I feel like we all go through these chapters of life where um, you hear people say, like, you deserve it or, or you can, you know, you should do that when you're splurging. And I, I kind of have an alarm that goes off in my head because I did the same thing. I got a nice car when I was younger. And then as I, uh, you know, grew up and got married and had kids, I I drove kind of like a more economical, not a beater, but a beater for years because I thought, you know, I'm going to save money. It's cheaper insurance. This is a smart thing to do. And then as that car died, I did kind of find myself in this weird predicament where I was like, well, I need the car to run and be safe for like when I take my kids for like extended trips, but am I splurging? And so whenever I would hear someone say like, oh, you should do it; you deserve. it," I'm like, ah, no, maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. So there, there definitely is a weird balance. Yeah, I mentioned in the
0: article, and I'm mean, going to help a lot of our listeners out. If, if you've gotten to a point where you have discretionary spending, don't ever ask the question, can you afford it? Because the answer might be yes, but that doesn't mean you should purchase it. That's such a good point. I had this exact conversation
1: yesterday where um, a client is saying, it's a client's daughter actually, and she says, hey, my rent is going to be doubling at the end of my lease. And uh, and just for round numbers, we'll make, we're make we going to make up the numbers. It's going to be going from $1,000 a month to $2,000 a month. And I feel silly spending so much on rent. I think I want to buy a house. Can I afford it? Well, the answer was Yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean you should do it because this particular person has only been in the city for a short period of time. And I was like, where were you three years ago? And it was like two others, two moves before. I'm like, how do you know you're going to be here for a long period of time? She goes, oh, I just know. I'm like, I just don't know if it's the best idea. And we kind of went back and forth where she was asking the wrong questions. She was asking like, well, how much do I have to put down to get my mortgage payment down to this? Could you afford it? Yes. Is it the best decision? I don't know.
0: Because your brain was going to a place that when you're a buyer of a home, the first thought has to be time horizons, right. right? You have to you have to really be convinced that you're going to be in that place the next seven to ten years, um, or it, you might end up losing money because in those short periods of time, buying and selling, transaction costs, yep. all that friction that happens, you don't have a lot of years to dilute it over.
1: And that's what she said that triggered something in my mind. And she was like, "Well, and then a few years, if I, you know, I don't like it, I'll sell it and and I'll go buy another house somewhere else." And I, and I her last transaction went well bought a house three years later is worth more sold it profit that is not necessarily going to be the case next time and so i think that's where she was kind of hung up
0: and david bonson's (laughs) talked about it a lot recently we won't go too far off this tangent but he talks about in his white paper that hey our housing price is going to soften well they kind of have to right either wage growth has to be significant and interest rates have to come down because the equation always comes back to affordability so if you're buying a house right now it's it's not a bad idea if you want to be in that place right, Um, and you are going to have a long enough time horizon, but if you're trying to, you know, unintentionally flip a property, it's probably not the ideal time to do that. And I didn't want to leave our listeners in this article without a really simple rule of, okay, who should I take advice from? And I put it in there. It's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich advice and accountability go together. So whoever you're going to get advice from, that person needs to be accountable for that advice. And I, I wrote an article, if your favorite TikTok star gives you a really good investment idea, are they going to DM you back and be accountable for what your expectations are with that investment? Is Warren Buffett going to take your call when the stock doesn't go the direction you want it to? I mean, the answers are obvious. So you need to be in relationship with somebody you trust that is giving you advice and that person is electing to be accountable for the advice they give.
1: Well said. I, uh, I've, you know what I hear often, especially people that work in the industry or on TV a lot, is that they, they would say, well, investors know the risk. And that's uh, a bad assumption because they are spouting out names that they may own at the time and giving advice, but the listeners don't always understand that advice. And if they go and make a decision based off of that, that The per- the person giving that advice may sell the position a week later and you wouldn't know. And so it kind of leaves you high and dry.
0: Yeah. And me and you being inside the industry, it's so frustrating because I know right now we can think of the same person that finds themselves on CNBC every day talking about something that they don't advise clients to do. Right. And it's like you feel backwards. And then from their perspective, I get how they would defend themselves. This is entertainment. Understood. But it's kind of like athletes that say, hey, I'm not a role model sorry, my friend, you are a role model. Like the way you act and the way you behave because of the platform that God's given you, like that you have to be responsible with that.
1: And it goes further too. You mentioned um, like some of these social media apps where people give advice. Um, I've seen where some of these investment ideas uh, blow up, um, like in the digital currency space. And now people are getting called out saying, hey, you you were an advocate for this. And now the company went BK and doesn't exist and people lost money. And I go, well, it's not my fault that those people were crooks or that these people uh, followed, You know, didn't do their research. And it's like, man, what a cop-out. And so you're right. That, that is exactly how it would happen most of the time.
0: And that little idea of a cop-out is a good segue for kind of how we'll wrap up this article. I even gave criticism. And I, if I've ever done this to you, client, call me right now. But uh, I gave criticism to advisors. The, the, the commonplace today, which is not what the Bonsa Group does, but is to outsource the investment management for clients. And David talked about this with us, like I think last week or something, mm-hmm. uh, it just frustrates him. And as it does me too, is when an investment advisor outsources the investment management, and then when they're meeting with the client and the investment management didn't well, do well, they want to shift the blame and point the finger at this arbitrary investment manager that the client's never met. So much easier. It is easier. and they're. But you gave the advice. And that's why I'm just convinced when I was writing this article that you have to take advice and accountability and they have to go together.
1: Even when they uh, take account or they're accountable, it's not really they're accountable. They're like, oh, these guys really let me down. I was really disappointed what they did. So we're going to make this change. We're going to make that change. It's not,
0: it's not real. So. And what they always end up doing, uh, kind of rephrasing a Wayne Gretzky quote, right? They, they often will change the portfolio to where the puck has been.
2: Right? Yeah, they're not. Yeah. They're
0: not going where the puck is going. They don't have conviction about a strategy, and that's what I encourage people. When you're going through that interview process of where you're going to get advice from, start to get an idea: has this person believed this philosophy or this approach since the beginning, or what's changed, or or, or whatnot? Because you really don't want somebody that's just going fluid with the trends of what's going on in the world.
1: And what's the most common question you get when you tell them about an investment? I don't know. Tell me. They say, oh, how has it done historically? And people love to say, oh, look, it's been the best performing uh, fund or ETF in its asset class. It's the best one because people want to hear that. Y- what you'd actually want to hear is, you know, I have conviction in this philosophy,
0: whether it's the best one or not, because I think it's going to work out in the long run. Yeah, I was reviewing a portfolio yesterday. And on the first page, there was a, a decent size allocation to managed futures. And the first thing that came to mind for me, I was like, I was like flipping through the statement. I was like, when was this purchase? Because I feel like managed futures went through such a, I mean, post 2008, it was like the best investment to have when that crash happened and then disappointing for a decade. And then with inflation recently, I was like, when was this position added? Um, Because it's, it is frustrating that advisors can do that of like, let's change the portfolio to where the puck's been.
1: You know, what's funny too, is that we're kind of missing like the elephant in the room too, that. If you've already been punched in the face and you use that sentence a lot, and you've been through the pain of an investment philosophy, don't change it now. Like the reward is coming, and it's interesting that um, with an asterisk, right? With an asterisk, not always. Or, no, I say with or, an, I say
0: with <laughs> I say with an asterisk because I, I think of a recent conversation I had, um, and again, this is my bias. I despise those triple leveraged investments oh, yeah. and things like that. And I, I know somebody you know, is like, hey, I, here's my purchase price. Here's where it is now. I'm sure we're going to bounce back. And I'm like, ah, that, that investment vehicle is made for daily use and you're using it as a long-term investment. I, it just makes me uncomfortable.
1: That, and that's a good point. But realistically, if you are a long-term investor, it takes patience. And if the allocation hasn't been going well and you call Mr. and Mrs. Advisor and they say, no problem, we're going to change this, change that, change this, it should... Give you caution because what that normally be the worst time to be making changes.
0: Yeah, and I want to I want to add to this idea of accountability because I feel like it has a negative connotation in our culture. And I don't mean like if I'm Sean's client that I'm like trying to catch him make a mistake all the time. You know, ask him why I did this. Like I don't I don't think it's that anxiety relationship. I think I trust Sean, and then Sean is electing to be accountable. A- and Sean, when something maybe goes in a direction that wasn't the expectation that was laid out. Sean leads with this idea of, oh, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it. That's how I see accountability. What I wish I wrote about in this article, and I didn't, because um, I didn't really have a way to tie it in and I wanted to go to bed. <laughs> um, but the, the other side of it that I would challenge people is if those folks that have found a really good advice giver and they don't take the advice. Um, I, have been in countless situations where I looked over something and I was like, oh, okay, you know, if I was in your shoes, all this kind of, this is what I would do. And they go a different route and, and maybe one out of 10 times that, 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 happens. But when you're in one of those relationships and half the time you don't take the advice, sometimes I'm like, why are we even in why, this relationship? Why you ask me? Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I don't know if I'm being really helpful, literally my sole job is to give advice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if my hit rate on you actually taking my advice is half the time, that's pretty exhausting for me.
1: Yeah, it just, and we talked about this in a recent uh, podcast, where if it's friends asking for advice, it's hard to give friends advice, because it's kind of like a lose lose. But if it's a client that doesn't take your advice, it it sounds like it's kind of broken.
0: And you know why it's hard? because I'm not going to be accountable for it. Right. Like, you know, my client.
1: Yeah. You know they, what I mean? They go, hey, this this went south. Oh, I wish I didn't do that. You go, yeah. You don't want to say, oh, I told you not
0: to. <laughs> you yeah, know? you want to, I mean, I usually probably give that disclaimer, like, I'll give you an idea of what I would do if I was in your shoes, but keep in mind, as the environment changes and things like that, my advice would change, mm-hmm. right? If you ask me, uh, you know, Two or three years ago, uh, if it was, uh, I don't know, about buying treasuries or something like that, obviously my opinion is very different today. Right. So that's the, the problem, too, is that we haven't given a shelf life for that advice, right? Like you give advice, well, yeah, that was good advice when your life looked like this. Now that advice no longer applies. And that's why we're big advocates of when you're in a relationship – you don't have to worry about the shelf life advi- of advice because you're constantly in conversation uh, and you're molding and pivoting towards what fits for that person's objectives. And their objectives change over time as well. Yeah. So um, we won't beat a dead horse. Uh, I-, I liked this article personally, um, which I won't say that a lot, but I like it because it reminds me that some of the, sometimes the simplest questions can be the most thought-provoking So we kind of pose this idea of who's got your ear and where do you go for advice? And I challenge you to really think about that. Um, And if it doesn't spawn a lot of thought, pull up your portfolio and look at it and see where did I get this advice? Uh, And I want to encourage you to attach advice to accountability and be in a a trustworthy relationship where the counterparty is willing to be accountable for that. And um, with that said, we'll ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. All comments are welcome. Uh, you can get a hold of Sean or Trevor by emailing Tom, T O M, at thebombsgroup.com. You can email us with comments or ideas, questions. Um, we really want to be a resource in any way that we can. Uh, and we will be back next week with more of our thoughts, thoughts on, on money. money.